Welcome back, Skigglers, for another episode of the Skits and Giggles podcast. I'm Pascal, and I'm joined by my co-host Bryson. How's it going tonight, buddy? Hey, everybody. Hey, Pascal. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not bad. We are also joined by Vito Buchli. How's it going, man? I'm good. Thank you. How are you guys? Ah, splendid. I was browsing the social media the other day, and uh, I saw some clips from the Freeride Fiesta, and there was this gnarly crash. And then as I was uh, looking at the replay, I was like, huh, that's weird. I know that guy. Who's that Vitor guy? Vitor, Vitor Buchli. That's the Swiss guy. So I thought, well, why don't we talk to this guy? So here we are. What can you tell us about the Freeride Fiesta? Yeah, that, that was an early event, man. Um, everyone was crashing. At, when I was at the hospital, we were like 14 or 13 guys at the same time at the hospital. Um, just crashes left and right. Um, guys needing surgery, others, other people just needing stitches, just like me. Um, yeah, I got lucky on that one. I nothing happened. I just had to to stitch up my eye, my eyelid, and um, yeah, it went down to the muscle. I had to the the surgeon had to stitch up the muscle and then the the skin over it and. Uh, that was it. Six days later, I was on my bike again. Oh, nice! But uh, <laughs> how did you? <laughs> how did you get to the hospital in Mexico? How did you even get to Freeride Fiesta? Yeah, so um, I've known Johnny for for a while now, for one, two years. Uh, we met at the flat out days, uh, the last flat out days that happened um, in Slovenia, and we did some some trains together on the first day. And then he had a, a crash. Um, he couldn't ride the whole week, and then I would just we were just there, and I, I I could I just stayed with him, and we we got to know each other. And then when I knew that he was the the organizer from from the fiesta, I I hit him up and asked like yo dude can i come and he was like yeah for sure just just come and and you can say at mine and we we just ride you just come to ride and uh and then i went <laughs> yeah beginning of january we went there uh i helped them just shape up a bit uh, on the last day before the event and then then we rode but i had some some problems and i i was so down because I couldn't ride and everyone else was riding. Everyone had done top to bottom runs and I was still at the same jump but at the metal ramp stuck there. And every time I, I would get to the metal ramp, something else would happen. And um, and I would just bum up, bummed out and on, on the third day. And then the guy I was falling the whole week. He said, yeah, just let's just do a train. You come with me. If you feel good, you do it. If you don't feel good, you don't do it. And then another guy hopped in in front of me. So I, I was bummed out because I didn't know, like, I, I've, I've never ridden behind him. But I just shut my mind off and I said, okay, it doesn't matter. Just do it. He's going to have the same speed as the guy in front. Um, but I let a bit of space between me and him. And then I was trying to catch up. So all the, the jumps I already knew, I was squashing down and jumping a bit a bit faster than, than normal. And then when I came up to the metal ramp, everyone always said when you come off the shark fin break twice and then jump it softly what did i do i didn't break i was too fast and i had tailwind so off i went to the flat to the moon to the <laughs> evil moon. evil yeah it was like 12 meters height and 20 to 22 meters distance to flat on my feet without the bike and how much further from the top of the landing was that I went to the to the last half meter of the of the transition. So like the 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 part that's almost flat again that oh, meets wow. the bottom. I was at that point. Like we went back to 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 see where I landed. It was like really like you see the first impact is at the the la last half meter, and then I I jump up again and there's like another mark, two three meters on the on the flat, mm -hmm. and, and that's uh, off your bike. Off my bike, yeah. Yeah. I was, I think. Because I didn't jump softly, I tried to to go with the the um, the jump, and it was a uh, quite a if it's a big it's a big ramp. But when you're coming at that speed, it just feels small, 
and it kicks you like super fast. It was the radius is I, I can't I can't explain it. It's like it doesn't feel right for that size jump. And I wasn't the only one that said that. Everyone else was saying the same thing. Um, but it kicks you like really fast. You just you you expect it to kick, and then it just like whoop, and it's you're in the air. Um, and on that moment, I knew if I held onto the bike, I would go over the bars and onto my head and I, I like almost threw the bike to the back to compensate and, and go to my feet again. But it's like, I, I can't explain how it, how, cause like it's, it's so fast. It's a, in, in the blink of an eye, you're just on the bottom. But it was a pure correct reaction, right? So you're trying to like counter the forces that you couldn't control with a reaction that you tried to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I couldn't have done a better job of 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 the landing, I guess. But it's everything's just muscle memory, and it just happens. Like you can't, you can maybe train for that, but you can't like say I'm gonna do this and this. You guys know, like when you're in a car as a kid or like in a in a plane, you think like you start to think to yourself like, yeah, if it crashes, I can do this and then that, and then I'm gonna pull my 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 legs up and then I'm gonna go over the window or over the seat and everything's gonna be alright. I'm just gonna roll it out. It's it's not like that. <laughs> it just happens. So this was the the last day of practice, or when was that in compared to the event day? Yeah, so we had like three days of riding on the course that that was the third day and on the fourth day would have been the the public day so when people come to to see the the vips and everyone uh there were there were like i think over a thousand people that came that showed up to to watch uh and in between because like the event is a whole week in between we had one day that we went to a tequila factory uh the main sponsor from the event uh fortaleza tequila to just to see how they do, how they create the tequila and where does it come from and meet the people and everything was really cool. Really humble to see because everything, they still do everything by hand. It's like a, a premium quality product. They still do everything just like they did like two or 300 years ago. It's traditional. Yeah, it's traditional. Yeah. That's, that's why it's also pricey. Um, yeah. And then on the third overall day of the event we went to a volcano to ride on a on a sleeping volcano that was that was really cool we drove like over an hour we were just driving up on these like back roads and off-road uh, tracks and we had like two or three trucks that were like for proper four by fours and the rest was just like rental cars and rental vans and just Crazy. just trying to get up that hill but it, we managed to do it at the end and uh, after an hour driving up and then like another 20 minutes um pushing the bikes up we got like to this huge view like just amazing viewpoint and and we rode at least one and a half hours down downhill oh, wow. so this couple really cool. this volcano was it like a constant grade all no, the no, way it down was, it was like a proper forest so oh, it wow. had like normal tracks it's it's cool because like it wasn't the highest point of the volcano so you can go further up you have to walk like another i think six hours up or something five hours i don't know and they used to have a mega avalanche from the top like the two three hundred people just started at the same time and then it was a shoot and after the shoot it just funnels up into like a, a single track uh, with a lot of dried up loam. So it's, it's, it's a different feeling because you have grip, but your wheels are like powder, just like half of the wheel is in the earth, just digging in and trying to find some grip to ride. But um, yeah, it was, it was also really cool to see. Um, the, uh, but that was, uh, I guess at the end, at the back end of a, of a very long series of a number of events that you've done over the last mm -hmm. six months or so, um, what's some of the, the other highlights that you've done in that time? I can, I can put my finger on one event cause every event had its ups and downs. Every event was completely different. Like if you take uh, a Crankworx event. I, I was in Whistler last year for Crankworks. I did um, dual slalom, uh, speed and style, RDH, whip off. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, four that's events. Pl that's plenty. <laughs> yeah, ah, and pump tracks, so five events. Um, 
So like if you take a Crankworx event where there's over three, four hundred athletes from different different styles of mountain biking and um it's because you have so many events happening at the same time or parallel um or sometimes like you have pump track training in the morning and then dual slalom in the evening and then finals the next day and you get to meet people but everyone is in their niche and just some athletes go to all the the events so you don't like get to meet people that well um and when you go like to fruit fiesta or you go to i don't know flat out days you have so many riders just riding the same course so you, you connect more with the people so it's it's different it's really different the um, i must say whistler was up there because i I've, ne i've never been to whistler before so on top of going to Of, like doing the full crankworks um for 10 days straight i could also ride the whistler bike park so that was really cool for me i couldn't do much more than um a-line and dirt merchant because everything else was just too much on the hands after a whole day of racing and, and training and dirt merchants just like butter is smooth you can just let brakes open death grip the whole way down and you don't you can do like 100 runs a day and you don't feel it <laughs> so yeah but also going I, i went to norway to Hugfest. um got to ride there on the on the course also a really cool event overall but we had some bad luck with the weather the um, the soil was was really tacky and sometimes even wet and we just didn't have the speed for the jumps on the first day and then on the second day some guys started clear, clearing it and some guys just casing the hell, hell out of it and and going otb and then the third day it was actually good and starting like to proper like roll properly and you could we started doing tricks and everything so yeah it's every every event was a, a roller coaster I, i have to say it's 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 been a, a roller coaster since I, I stopped working and started doing this full time. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, but it, yeah, you mentioned it, right? Uh, you know, this has uh, been the, the let's say the first six months or so of you doing this uh, full time. You've gone the let's say the the more traditional Swiss way of uh, completing your education like a proper Swiss person before you go full gas into your into your sports ambition. Uh, but you've you've completed your professional training like others, uh, and since then you've gone full time on on mountain biking. So so what apart from obviously this roller coaster events of of events, what else has changed since since you've gone full time? Whoa whoa whoa! Wait a second, Pascal. What was that sound? <laughs> I started using that sound whenever we wanted to say something about our social or where you guys can find more information about the Skits and Giggles podcast, we are currently most active on our Instagram, where you can skit right into our DMs and follow along at Skits and Giggles. And you can find our website with all the relevant links and info under the URL skitsandgiggles.com. Also, if you guys like what we're doing and want to know what's up, just give us a follow on Spotify, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to great podcasts. Finally, Sharing episodes you enjoy on your socials or a heartfelt five-star rating on your favorite platform goes a long way in helping us reach more cool people like you. Right on, with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Everything. <laughs> Everything from mindset to my body to the way I view the world, everything has changed from like strict six to to three uh working days and then training in the afternoon or just riding to suddenly riding every day just training 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 and sometimes training tw twice a day um crossfit in the morning and mountain biking in the afternoon or the other way around or surfing in the morning riding mountain bikes in the afternoon everything everything has changed it's 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 a it's been a cool 
a cool experience, I have to say. It's everything that I expected and more. Okay, but what, uh, so yes, you obviously say everything has changed to the better in, in terms of your sport, of course. But, um, you know, before that, you know, there's your, you have to do your working time and then you have to get the training in. But, you know, I guess the, the benefit of that, it also learns you um, some kind of a discipline and, uh, and discipline is obviously something that, that you take with you for the rest of your life, right? So what are some of the, the other things that you, that you took away from the experience of having to complete both your professional training and education and, uh, and, and competing at a high level at the same time? I didn't actually compete while I was in the in in my apprenticeship. Like in the first year, I I was still racing downhill, so I was doing up to ten, fourteen races a year. Um, I did some IXS cups, some IXS European cups. I was never super fast, but I was never slow. So I had this discipline of interval trainings and gym days after work so i would work until three or four and then go training the rest of the day um so i already had that discipline from the downhill days uh especially the training um part of things because it's it's hard when you get into it the first like when you first start racing you feel like oh cool it, it feels great I like to train, I like to go fast, and then you have to train off the bike, you have to go to the gym and train other muscle groups so you can be better on the bike. And to get that routine in, it's it's hard, but once you, you've had that feeling once, you know what the benefits are and that it, it's better if you do it, so you have to do it. And uh, I always trained alone, and I always, yeah, I was, I didn't ride alone, but um, training in the gym, and I, I was mostly alone, so it's it's hard like to get that focus and the energy and to put just put time in and then from the apprenticeship th side of things um i was i did um um four years of um of the technical apprenticeship we call in switzerland it's the the later um i wasn't fortunate enough to do a, a like a sportsman uh, apprenticeship it's a, a sportlerlehre where you can combine sports and do the the school and, and work and everything together. So they give you time off for training and they give you time off for races or contests. Um, I, I couldn't do it. I didn't find a, um, a firm that would do that. So I just did a normal four years. And um, yeah, working the whole day and then riding the rest. <laughs> What um, you know? What is what I find interesting with, with these kind of um, let's say education models, right? Is that in in many disciplines you have role models and you have you have people that have done this um, avenue before, right? So you take cross country Olympic. There is a long history of Swiss Olympic mountain bikers that have completed exactly the the transition that that you've just described if you look at any other olympic sport then there's plenty of other examples that have done that if you look at switzerland um in you know in what you do today let's call it a free racer or a free rider but even in downhill actually there's not many in switzerland that have completed that trajectory so i i'm just wondering who who inspired you to to keep working so hard and keep pushing towards a goal. And as you say, all by yourself, more or less. It's hard. Cause like the, my main inspiration people, my main heroes, they're all from other countries. So like if you take, um, let's just take a, a, a known example, Brendan Semenuk, like his riding style and, and his precision on the bike if you take his life and compare it to a Swiss person, it's just not doable. <laughs> or let's let's say uh, someone younger than Simon. Like let's take Kate for example, Kate Edwards. His path and what he did in 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 the UK is also completely different than we could and will do in Switzerland. So even if I would just do the the obligatory. Um, years of school and then drop out and don't learn anything 
no one would support that. Nobody, everyone would be against it. And everyone would say, no, you have to at least do like the basic thing or learn, learn a basic job. And then, so you have something to fall back on. And, uh, on that, on that way, I don't have like a, a proper inspiration, but as soon as I like Ra Ramon Hunziker, um, he he's for sure one because he was one of he, he was one of the freeride pioneers in the, in Switzerland, and uh, and he was able to make a living off it. And then after he stopped riding as a, a pro athlete, I'd say he still managed to build something in the sport and uh, and keep on on building tracks and building and and doing organizing events. Uh, so that's, he's for sure, uh, an influence. And as soon as I, as I heard of Hoopy that he was also able, like, okay, Hoopy is on a completely other level than, than I am in the sport, but still that a Swiss guy was able to finish the, the later. And then after that, he went full pro and he's still doing it. And I think two, it's, it's his third year now for doing this full time. I, I'm not sure. But um, that was a, a boost in confidence that that it's possible as a Swiss Swiss guy because I feel like in Switzerland it's easy to get sponsored, but it's not easy to live off the sponsoring or live off the sport. Doesn't matter which way you go. Um, if you work on the side as a guide or as a coach and do other things then it's possible because it's still like doing, you're still biking for a living, but like to get a, a, a paid, like on the level that Hoopy does, it's, it's, it's hard. He's, he's the only one. So, but he's a, he's a trailblazer, right? So you, you see certainly here in, in Zurich where I live and, you know, you, you see the, the inspiration and there's <clears throat> so many kids now coming after him so many other kids that get into the sport, not necessarily the same discipline, but, you know, they see him at events, they see him around town, they see him in the skate park and, uh, you know, they, they're, they're inspired. And as you say, right. So they, they say like, okay, wow, it is actually possible. Um, even as a Swiss person. And, uh, and I think that that is already an important, an important, um, thing to show for, 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 you know, teenagers and people that are coming up and, be it in, in a free ride discipline or in any other discipline um, that is, let's say, less a bit more untraditional and outside of the, the traditional competition formats. Yeah, yeah, for sure as well. Because, I mean, what, what's free ride? Everyone will tell you a different, different answer. There's, there's not like a... It, it's not like I do cross country. So if you say to somebody, I do cross country, you probably race cross country. So when you race cross country, what's your goal? Maybe the Olympics, maybe UCI, UCI World Cup or everything together or the Cape Epic. I don't know. But there's like those paths. There's two, three different options you can do. And that's it. Or downhill, same thing. But when you come, when it comes to free ride, it just, it connects everything. You can still ride free ride if you want on a a road bike <laughs> <laughs> it's it's still, yeah, you know like it, you're still riding and you're doing something out of the ordinary something that you wouldn't do on that type of bike but you can still consider it free riding so yeah it's it's hard because you don't have the it's already hard to say i want to be a mountain bike rider for a living because that's already out of the ordinary for a swiss person if you say i'm gonna i want to ride bikes for a living my neighbors can when i told my neighbors or my friends that i wanted to do this that don't ride bikes they all looked at me like okay so what you gonna do exactly <laughs> um <laughs> if you tell somebody i want to work in it they know oh, okay cool he's gonna work with computers so that's normal I can accept that, but when they hear, <laughs> I want to, if you say I want to be an athlete, that's a bit more plausible, a bit more real for them, but still they don't know how you're going to get there. To which athlete school are you going to go? Like that, there's exactly. no path. Yeah. Are you going to university for athlete? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a master athlete. Thank you. 
Victor, I'm really glad you asked that question. What is freeride? First of all, it's my favorite term of mountain biking. I've been a freeride fan since the you know dawn of it. Um, second of all, second of all, it's because I wanted to uh, I wanted to pull back into the conversation to where we were talking about freeride fiesta, Huckfest, and flat out days. Um, to my knowledge, to my understanding, these are like these big jump competitions, but they're all like these giant flow lines, massive jumps, like moto style, right? And so for the listeners out there who don't know exactly what that is, can you break down in general what that style of event is and then maybe tell us what they all basically have in common and maybe a little tidbit of what each one has like individual or how they try to make that stand out from the other ones? They try to build the courses the best they can so that means in the end if you can ride a bike you can probably get over those jumps if you can jump normal size jumps you could go get over them you just need to have the speed because they are normally not like super technical jumps those are not trails those are not like trail jumps those are just normally big and you don't need to do anything in the air if you take flat out days for example you can do the whole course death grip you don't have to break before any jump you don't have to pedal before any jump you just have to ride it and feel the the course and it's, it's just the best feeling ever um you're basically doing nothing besides getting big impacts because i'm the jumps are huge the the hip has i think on the um, smaller path i think 23 meters in length and then if you go to the further outside it's like something around 26 26 and a half meters you're you're jumping so you're like in the air for a good two two and a half seconds um and all of them has they have the the the, the size in common that's the only the only common point because every terrain is different every soil is different the the weather is different the ramps are different some some of them have wooden ramps metal ramps dirt to dirt lips um it's they have hips some doesn't don't 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 have any hip in the course some have big drops small drops not even drops so it's they try to be to build something special um and every event tackle uh, or goes to a, a different approach some of them of of them try to to make it as big as possible some of them try to just build interesting looking jumps and a cool course that looks cool on camera and cool for for photos um some of them are good for tricks so they they go with the goal they have the goal for the the athletes to just do the most insane tricks on relatively big trick jumps uh so it's 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 hard to to find like a common point on them besides the size they just try to go big i mean um if you take uh the um, event in south africa the um, dark fest dark fest exactly they had a 90 footer um jump on the course that was the biggest they had and then hardline built a 100 foot jump so they're going for 105 or 110 this year i think i'm not quite sure if i'm if i'm allowed to to say this but uh i i they were telling this to everybody at free fiesta so i don't think it's gonna be that bad um but yeah so some some of them just have just want to have like the, the biggest jump there is to break a record or some of them just build like super perfect jumps where people can just have fun and are not like super safe because the jumps are huge still but they're built so well that the, the the chances of you jumping it wrong is are pretty slim. If you're doing a trick or something, then maybe yeah. But if you're just doing straight jumps, straight airs, if your bike's alright, if you're feeling good, 
yeah, you can just roll over them. So it's kind of like they came to this intersection of like the biggest jumps p- possible for like humans on bicycles. And then it intersects with where they're able to like perfectly sculpt them, the takeoff and the landing. So you can either maintain or gain speed for the next series of like to continue on. They've kind of, they've kind of found that secret recipe there. Yeah. So they, that most of them have that in common that you don't have to break or pedal in between jumps if the conditions are right. If you take Freeride Fiesta, for example, the wind was a, a big problem because sometimes you had headwind and then tailwind after five seconds and then strong winds and then no wind. So every time people would jump the metal ramp, they they would jump it differently because it, it was almost impossible to do two runs exactly the same. But if you take flat out days in Slovenia, even with the wind, it was hard not to just go over the jumps, like land on the on the right spot and, and take off on the right spot. And they had wind guys, like we people checking the wind, and if it was over a certain limit, they would just call it off. Uh, and then on the other hand, Freeride Fiesta was open the whole day for riding, so if you felt like riding, you could. Um, and the soil was also a big problem because it's, it's almost like concrete. I have to shape this jump with water, then just let it bake in the in the sun for like two three weeks. Nobody rides it; it just bakes there and it, it just stays. And once it's hard enough, you can ride it. But the soil underneath it's still dusty. So once that top layer breaks off, you're, you're just riding a sand pit. So if you're on the right line, you're not gonna lose speed but if you're off that line you're gonna case even the metal ramp so yeah it was it was a bit gnarly on that on that side but they can't do anything because it's it's the conditions it's the it's the venue it's like an open quarry with nothing around it so (laughs) they can't just put a, a bubble over it so so you've written quite a few of these and you've got pretty much the the idea um have you ever thought about making your own, uh, you know, huck day or, you know, Swiss huck day? I've thought about it as well as I've, I've thought of building something to train, something bigger. But it's just so hard to get something like that legal here in Switzerland. And I think that's the main problem why nobody does it. And if someone do, do build something like this, they're just going to, leave it private and just write for themselves, maybe invite some friends. Cause as soon as it gets out that it it's dangerous, it's not, it's going to take a week and the police is going to be there just to check and they're going to shut it down. And I, yeah, it's, it's sad almost, but if I would do something like that, I, I would probably go to Brazil and do it in Brazil because <laughs> it, it's, it's just easier. <laughs> as soon as you said police, I was thinking, okay, now it's becoming free ride. <laughs> it's a little bit outlaw. <laughs> yeah, free ride, free yourself before you get caught. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but that would have been my, my question. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing like, you know, 30 meter jumps and, uh, huge speeds and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, how are you training for that stuff here in Switzerland, right? As you know, say there's limited availability of spots to do that. Uh, is it really only just gym work and training on small jumps or what else are you doing? Yeah, it's hard. Like we don't have big jumps here. So. Well, the grizzly line in Lenzerheide, come on. <laughs> that's, that's the first bigger one to train on. Um, shout out, and shout it's, out flying grizzly bear. Yeah, shout out. Um, and it's even a mulch jump, so it's it's nice. But the spot where they build it, it's just too windy. So if I go from from Basel to Lenzerheide to train, and then I get there and it's windy, it's just yeah. I, I I'd rather go to Kur, where they also have some big-ish jumps, like bigger than everything else we have in Switzerland, and some wooden jumps, so, which is also pretty cool. But if you want to train for those events, you just got to go outside of Switzerland and go to Austria, to France. Um, Italy doesn't have much, but um, even Germany, they have some some spots. But it's always like one big jump or two middle-sized jumps and a a mulch jump in the end. It's like it's never huge. 
but yeah i just go i train at skills park for tricks um and then i go to the mulch mulch jump at the jump park in zurich and i just ride as much as i can because it's the the bike feeling that's important on those jumps not really the technique because they're built so well you don't need like i said they're not technical jumps it's more more of the brain side of things like if you are feeling good if you are feeling like you can do it then you you can most certainly do it you just have to go to the events and and ride but i mean at the end of the day is pretty much a physics game right so I know that Nico Vink and and these guys they they use like speedometers on their bikes and they they know exactly the speed that they need to hit on the lip that they clear the jumps and that brings them to the next one and and all that sort of stuff. So, are you using uh, other tools as well to to dial in your jumps and and build your confidence for the jumps or or is it really just a gut feeling and send it? My human gyroscope. Uh, <laughs> no, just gut, gut feeling. You, you know when you're going the the right speed. And I'm not a guinea pig. I used to be one. I I love to hit jumps, be the first one to hit jumps and test them out and, and just just do it. But I'm not that person anymore. I can't. I, I almost can't do them if I don't have anyone in front of me. So you just get someone you, you know you know the riding the their the skills the their style their speed and just follow them into the jumps and then then you you're most likely going to be all right i i've also had professionals crashing in front of me that i knew the speed and they ju it just happened but um normally they're so big that you can still like just land and then just miss them um I just go, just go with the flow, and I, I follow the guys I know, and, and just trust them. Because um, I mean, if if I would have the speed from another guy, like the exact kilometer per hour, and have a, a speedometer on my bike, and then look at that screen before the jump, I'm another person. I'm heavier or lighter than them. I have another bike, another pressure, another shock. Everything. There's so many variables. The gut feeling is the the only one you can really really trust. And I guess I can figure out your uh, your suspension settings, all the compressions, zero rebound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think my fork set up at the moment twenty psi over maximum, all the tokens inside. If I would, if I would take the, the shout out to <laughs> shout out to the warranty department. <laughs> Nobody knows it. Um, if I would take the. Um, the sheet the the excel sheet to see like weight to psi or weight to bar i would be like i think 140 or 130 kilos and i weigh like 68 <laughs> so yeah i'm doing everything wrong from a um a suspension company's perspective perspective all right well but you mentioned it before brazil so we uh, we didn't mention in your recent trip we we only mentioned uh, Mexico the free ride festa, but uh, I do know a little birdie has told me that uh, that trip was extended a little bit to uh, go somewhere else and you mentioned Brazil and uh, can you talk to us a little bit about what the story is with uh, with Brazil and your trip and uh, what happened while you were there? <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, so after Mexico, I went to Brazil for a, a, a film I, I wanted to, to do. Um, I, um, I was born in Brazil and I moved to Switzerland when I was 14. So I basically grew up there and I had never ridden mountain bikes or at least jumps in Brazil. My first ever experience on a mountain bike was in Brazil with my uncle. He used to ride cross country, and I went on a on a day ride with him. Almost died on that one, but um, yeah, I, that was like this little tiny little downhill section on the trail with some berms and a couple of like rollers. Nothing much, nothing heavy, but that feeling of going downhill without having to pedal and just 
just flowing that that was that was the the thing that got me and then shortly after that we moved to to basil and i knew i had to get a mountain bike so i, I bought like a a crappy hardtail f- with crappy parts i would i had to fix something after every ride but um i rode that thing for almost a year or two one and a half maybe uh and the first ever track that i rode was the gampen north trail and i think you know that one <laughs> uh, of course you do <laughs> yeah it's, legendary <laughs> yeah the the blackberry and the or blueberry and the banana trail um yeah it was the the bottom of the of the banana trail where the banana bridge is my house or my parents house is Five, seven minutes from there so it's it's like a it was a proper home trail for me and that that's what started it all and uh back to the brazil trip we went for a for a movie we wanted to do a, a short film from from the writing scene in brazil because i i've been back a couple of times uh, almost every every year to visit family and to surf but i had never brought my i, I never brought my bike with me because it was too too expensive and this was the first time um i met some guys in uh in whistler that told me a couple of spots that i, I should ride and um the filmer from this trip guto he was one of my best childhood friends um after i moved out of brazil he started riding mountain bikes i started riding mountain bikes and then I now do this for a living and he films for a living. He films mountain bikes. <laughs> so it was just perfect. I, I said, let's do it. Let's, let's make a film together. Let's show the, the free riding scene and a bit of my background and where I grew up and let's do it. And then, uh, bikes, my, my main sponsor, they were, they were pumped about it and said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do the film together. And it's gonna, be going up soon in the middle to beginning of march it's going to be coming out and uh, you can check it out on on the bikes pink bike side as well as their youtube channel and if you don't find them there's the you can just find it on my on my instagram bio all right sweet we'll we'll make sure to put all the uh put all the links in the in the show notes as soon as it's uh, it's out must watch uh, must <laughs> yes. watch cheers but uh, but uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about about Brazil, right? Because I mean, I've I've, I've met a couple of riders on uh, from Brazil um, on different events, different races, and uh, they've always been a, a good a good bunch to be around. And uh, so yeah, I want to hear a little bit more about the um, like the the riding scene in Brazil. What the, what can you tell us about it? What is what is different to to what we know? it's completely different it's it's another world the same the same way that when you go to whistler you just experience another world of mountain biking another side of everything it's also like that but not really in a, in a positive way it's 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 a mixed mixed scene it's it's really complicated to explain uh brazil being a bit more not violent but dangerous than european countries and and canada um bikes tend to get stolen so if you go on a big cross-country ride you have to know where you're going you have to be on a bigger with a bigger group um if you go on an enduro ride the same thing um free ride jumps um you don't find like open public tracks you have to know the people and go to the private spots but once you start getting into the community you start to learn the people and and you get to know them and they're going to open up and say you're welcome to come and they're really warm so they're they're not trying to to get like keep mountain biking for themselves that's not what they're trying to do when building private tracks they're just tra- trying to keep them alive and not be a, a dangerous place and place where people can go and ride um but in the other side there's still a, a tiny side of the community that's jealous um like other riders when when a rider gets good the other people get jealous and then and instead of them supporting the good rider so he rises and 
goes outside of Brazil, everyone's like kind of against each other. So it's it's a special, it, it's 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 a strange community, but it's getting better. Like from from what I heard from the people there in the the locals, they all said like. <sighs> Everyone, the, the hate from the professionals is starting to go towards TikTokers. <laughs> as funny as that sounds, it's helping the other professionals that do this in, in a way. So, like, they don't get as much hate, but still, like, the money flows to the TikTokers and not to the people that write good. So, it's it's a strange, it's a strange community. That's why you don't see like that many professionals from Brazil that live in Brazil. So. If you take, um, I don't know, there's like a, a Brazilian guy that lives in, in England, in the UK, uh, and he races World Cups. He's not like on the top top 10 uh, World Cup riders, but he's also not slow. He's, 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 he's a good rider. He's a fast rider, but he, he doesn't live in Brazil. So if he would live in Brazil, it just wouldn't, wouldn't work. Or you, if, I don't know if you guys have ever heard from Bernardo Cruz. Uh, he used to ride for Red Bull and, and GT. Also him, like, th there was, like, even a story where his bike got caught up on the on the customs border because uh, it was a prototype, so they couldn't, like, tax him properly. So instead of giving the bike back to G GT or just taxing something, they just kept the bike. So he never got the, the three new prototypes he should have gotten. Also, one of the reasons why he got off off GT some some years later, because then they said, "Well, look, we like you. We want you to keep keep riding for us. But either you go live in the US, we we're gonna hook you up and and do everything you need, or you keep on living in Brazil." So he chose Brazil, and then he's not riding for them anymore. So there, there's like also like this those types of 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 stuff. Like South America has some 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 bad. <laughs> bad influences in riders and not in a like not in a normal way just by being a bad country for for imported goods and how was it um because you discovered your love for for mountain biking in switzerland right so kind of the big this big mountain country and big tradition of mountain biking so how was it for you to to go back to your you know to, to your homeland to motherland with your bike, with this vehicle that you learned to love abroad and kind of rediscover, rediscover your, you know, where you're from. It was amazing. Actually, I didn't, I sadly didn't get to ride that much as much as we wanted to, because the, the weather conditions were pretty bad. We had a lot of rain and from a five ish day project turned into a, a two weeks project where we were, we were just waiting for the rain to go down. And sometimes we would go to the venue or to the spot we wanted to film and then we'd start filming. And then an hour later, it, it, it would start pouring and we couldn't do anything anymore and had to drive back. And the distances in Brazil are not the same as in Switzerland. So you often drive more than an hour just to go somewhere near for them. <laughs> so, yeah, so we had... I couldn't ride that, much, that many trails, but I did get to ride two really cool like enduro downhill trails. Um, it, it's it's cool because the 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 soil is so different. It's it's techy, but it's like this red soil that sometimes turns into black and then back to red, and it's it's almost like, almost like. If it, it looks like clay, but but it feels like loam. It's 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 interesting to ride and really cool. I I loved I loved riding there. Um, and we went to this um, jump spot. They have a all natural jump spot for big bikes, uh, as well as dirt jumps, like for for a, for a dirt jumper, where they build everything out of dirt and they have like these multiple lines. Um, big step ups and and tiny step ups road gaps hips over cars like huge stuff as well and it was really cool like we couldn't ride the big the big big line because they were just rebuilding it so um we weren't able to do that but the middle line was pretty cool pretty rad to ride like uh they had a pretty cool trick jump perfect for 
like just chilled backflips, chilled flat spins, and just like a good trickable jump. That's still fun to ride and just do straight airs. And the community is still like the guys that I get got to ride with. They were amazing. They were, it was really cool. Like to to witness everything that I, I I had only seen in videos or never seen before, and then with people I I knew from my childhood, and it was it was a cool feeling. Yeah, mm, sounds cool. Yeah, but I have to go back. I, I I like I said, I only saw like two trails from maybe a hundred so it was there was i think you that was one trail that were would have been perfect for an enduro race and i think you would have loved it because i know you, you race you, you've raced some ews races yep i have and uh i, I think that one would have been cool because they were they were telling me like yeah there's some steep parts there's some cool like natural drops and and stuff that you can like it's it's really cool when you ride it fast because then you feel the flow and everything. And I was like, yeah, okay. It's probably not going to be something I've never seen before. And then I, I drop in and it was like like really steep and really cool because you can just let it open and you're just going so fast. In, and the, the forest there is, is not the same as we, we know in, in Switzerland. It's like, it's dense. It's like you feel the speed because it's like two walls of just leaves and, and branches going left and right and you're just going super fast and it, it, it was really cool it was really cool just in general what like uh what region or area were you visiting uh i was in sao paulo so like more of a big city could compare it to zurich in bigger and more people and <laughs> more skyscrapers <laughs> um but just outside of Sao Paulo, there's a couple of little hills where they have some stuff. And yeah, it's cool. It was really, really cool. Yeah, another place that's on my bucket list, Brazil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have they have some cool... They're getting better. They're starting to build like bike parks with shuttles and uh, they have like trail centers, big ones as well. Um, but they're not like in Switzerland where they have... We have like big trail building crews that do this for a living and they just go and build like huge tracks. They're all locals that work a nine to five job and do this on the, on the free time. So it's not professional, let's say, but it's natural. And that's, that's also cool. I, I sometimes prefer natural tra trails to like perfectly flowy lines. And, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You don't need to be doing it professional to be creative. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, naturally, we have mentioned him before, but we do need to ask if you are uh, exchanging notes with the other Swiss Brazilian uh, mountain bike guy about uh, Brazilian desserts. Are you also a brigadeiro guy? <laughs> uh, I knew that this one was coming. Um, I loved brigadeiro up until six months ago. But I have turned vegan since then because of health, uh, some health issues I had. And this was the only thing that, that cured me, basically. And, um, and now I have to search for, for some other options. But they have this amazing thing called goyaba, goyabada. Uh, goyabada is like a, a sweet candy bar looking thing like it's it's pretty dense uh it's made out made out of guava it's i don't know if you guys know it um it's like this fruit full of seeds inside and it's red inside oh yeah yep. um so it's like this red brick and it's just amazing um yeah that's i, I would go with that at the moment because it's 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 naturally vegan it, they don't have anything besides sugar and and the fruit inside so i'd say that that one okay all right well hope you can keep the brigadeiros and uh, <laughs> you stick yes. with the guava is there um, is there anything you want to add before we wrap up for the night mm, no but i wanted to thank thank you guys so much for this opportunity it was really cool talking to you guys and seeing you guys for the first time like with the voices that i've been hearing on on spotify <laughs> it's really cool <laughs> oh well very welcome, very welcome. This has been fun so far, but we are not done yet. <laughs> we haven't dun, heard dun, dun. we haven't heard about that first bike that got you really stoked about riding bikes. Ooh, this one this one has some history. 
Okay, so it was a, a white Kona Stinky Supreme. Um, of course, every every good mountain biker, or at least every mountain biker, had a Kona at some t- some point in their life. I feel like absolutely. Um, <laughs> I had a Kona coiler before that one, uh, 2005 Kona coiler even, but the one that got me really stoked was this white Kona Stinky. It was Robin Schaub's old one <laughs> that I bought off some other guy th- through the internet. And it turns out that it was James's yeah. <laughs> James's bike before that. Um, and we built it out with some sick Chromac parts, uh, like old used parts from, from Robin and uh, a double crown. And it was just the best. I started racing on that bike. That was like the one that got me really stoked. Nice. Shout out for former guests, James Drew, five times champion now of the Skits and Giggles Giggles podcast and Robin Schaub. Um, We need to find that guy who was in between. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't don't know know anymore who he was. We're going to put him on the pod. If you're listening, let us know. (laughs) We'd love to talk to you. Yeah. You need to be in the continuum of that story. Anyhow. But I know, I know the guys. The guy that has it now, it's a friend of mine, and I told him when he wants to sell that bike, I'm I'm buying it back. Right, and then we're putting him on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, imagine yourself as a, a bike magician extraordinaire, and with your magic dropper post, you can make riding a bike more awesome for anyone by the stroke of it. So, what would you do? Okay, so I have two answers for that one. There's a plausible, a real answer, and then there's a dream answer. <laughs> I'll start with the real one, uh, the plausible one. Uh, I'd love to have litter-free litter trails as well as a good, like a good ecosystem between riders, hikers, and animals. Because I feel like there's still a lot of people that just don't give a fuck, basically, and just do what they want and destroy trails don't look at the at hikers or even like other natural freaks that just go on mountains walking barefoot i don't know but there's a lot of those (laughs) um and just a cool ecosystem between everyone and yeah until to this day even in switzerland i i always find litter when i go riding and i think between me and robin schaub we can almost build up a bike from bike parks we, bike parts we found on the Arlesheim trail in, oh, in wow. basel so there's like every time you go riding if, if something breaks on your bike it's laying around somewhere so just search for it pick it up and take it with you or take your cans with you anything yeah and then the re- the dreamy answer would be unbreakable bike parts because oh, i break a lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's part of the fun <laughs> i know but uh when you have to throw your bike on the air what happens a lot when you're training for tricks something will break and then yeah sometimes it's just not on a good time and then you have to go find it and yeah okay I, so I, I know you're in the air a lot, you know, with your big air jumps, doing some tricks. But when you're on the ground and you're styling it out, what does the perfect skid look like? Okay, so for me, the perfect skid would be a pre-hop into a tire blowout. Oh! 100, 180 probab- <laughs> probable taco wheeled berm terminating roost so it would it would just be destruction and i would be i would land on the ground i still haven't managed to do one but i i want i I want to like one day just when i have a bad back wheel or one that's already untrue and it's not able to salvage i just want to go all in and just destroy it that that would be like the the one i can just see it (laughs) blow it up and then you high side the bike and then all yeah. of a sudden, the like the dust settles, and you're just standing there. You just lay on your like, back with the bike yeah. in your hands, like. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. I also I also have the record now that in fifty odd guests that we had on this podcast so far, you're the first one that has 
taking the time to actually spell out his answer <laughs> for those listener for those closeout questions on a piece of paper. Thank you very much for this effort. It's worth it. Just, I just I just wanted them to imagine, like really imagine how yeah. everything would look. It you know? speaks perfect. It speaks to the kind of person you are. I love oh, it. <laughs> And to all the shapers and trail builders out there, I, it would be followed by a reshape of the berm so it looks good again. I wouldn't leave it behind. What a scholar. What a scholar. <laughs> and a gentleman. <laughs> Hats off. <laughs> Sweet. Well, with yeah. that one, I would say we close it out for tonight. This was a ton of fun. Vitor, where can... The, where can our listeners find more information about you and about the upcoming video and uh, where can they find you everything on my Instagram um, I post all the updates there it's vitor.buchli um, I also have all the other socials um, but I'm mostly active on Instagram sweet we'll also put that into show notes so people can find it with that, we say thank you again. This was super fun. And I hope to see you soon out on the trails. Hope to see you on the bike as well. Let's go riding. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Ciao. Ciao, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Pascal and I put a lot of heart and soul into this podcast. And it means a lot to us that you've listened to it. We'd also really appreciate if you shared it with the people that you know and care about. Until next time, Skigglers.